Amen. Guys, would you grab hold of a Bible and make your way this morning to the book of 1 John? Sunday mornings, we're just working verse by verse through the book of 1 John. It's where we continue this morning, and so hopefully you brought a Bible and you're making your way there now. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles in the front of you and the chairs in, in front of you with the page number on the screen so you can get there rapidly. If you want to use an electronic device and use a Bible app in that way, that's great as well. One way or another, we want you to have the Word of God in front of you. That's true if you're joining us online or in the overflow as well, longing that there would be a space this morning that you would be following along and God would take His Word and cause it to make impact into our life. Just recognizing that that is so desperately what we need. So let's do this. Let's take a moment and pray for that. We could do this each week. And so wanting just to give you a moment to pray as well. And I'm going to just lead you in it, but I'm hoping you're asking that God would take His truth and make it connect with you, that you'd see it, you'd understand it, and that God would cause you to hear what He would have you to hear this morning. Father, here we are. I thank you for your word that you have given to us, and I hold it before you. And I know that you have given it to us, and you said it's powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. But it's not a physical sword, it's a spiritual one that pierces into our soul, that transforms us from the inside out. I love that you do that. Do that this morning. Help us to understand, but then speak to us effectively so that your word is changing us, transforming us that you and your power would help us to hear. So give us ears to hear what you're speaking this morning. We ask it together, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love that we work through the Bible, just section by section, verse by verse. One of the things about taking the Bible verse by verse is it forces you to kind of cover everything that's there, to focus on all of that. I want to tell you that as we preface into this morning, because I'll just want to admit to you something. This is a tough section for me. I I read the Bible a lot. You know, I think about it. I read uh, the Bible on my own every year, at least once, usually the New Testament, at least twice a year at minimal. And I've been doing that for years. So in the midst of this, I have read 1 John so many times, and I love it. I love what's there, and and so every time I read through it, I'm usually asking God to show me a section or something that's there, and I just want to be as careful and yet as honest with you as I can possibly be. I have never picked this section, ever. I mean, it's never been this section that we're covering this morning. Now, the section we just went through, absolutely yes. The section we're going to next time, uh uh-huh. But this one's just never really done that for me. So as we headed into this week, I found myself just like, Lord, I don't know what to do with this. I mean, this is not, I mean, I don't know how to, how to get there. It's not that it's not, you know, got good nuggets in there. It's got so much. I feel like I step into this, this section and it's like you turn into one of those roundabouts and pretty soon, you know, you're spinning around really fast and it's like, there's so many truths and I just feel like I'm like, wow, that was like so much all at the same moment. And just, and I feel like a cartoon character and you're kind of like wobbling, like, okay, wow. That's what this section does for me. Now, again, I'm telling you that uh, so you know you can tune out the rest of the morning. No, I'm just kidding. No, you can't. But I want to be honest with you and just tell you it's a tough one because there's so much there. But I, I feel like God's met me a little bit this week, so I'm excited to be able to kind of go into this with you, and I'm hoping He will as well. But I just want to own it that it's, it is a got a whole bunch really, really quickly. And so let's do this. I already led you in prayer, but I'm going to do it one more time because I'm just admitting we need God's help to get the, out with this morning what He has for us. God help right here. I've been honest with your people and just, just, Lord, this is one of those sections that 
uh, just leaves me kind of disoriented at times. And so orient us by your spirit. Give us ability to understand and then speak through me and speak by your spirit and through your word into this moment effectively, believing that your word is powerful, asking for it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here in the book of 1 John, and very specifically in this section, one of the themes that you need to know that's just permeating these verses this morning is the reality that God is love. Yeah, that's what he told us back in verse 8, where we covered a couple weeks ago, where God lets us know that that is who he is, and he restates that exact phrase in our section this morning, that God is love. And I want you just to hear that because that just kind of rolls over this. So we haven't left that. Whatever is being kind of encompassed here is that. And it's just a really amazing reality. It's more than just saying God is loving, though he is. To say that he is love, it's his very nature. It's not just something he does. It's inherently who he is. That to know God is to discover what love really is, who he really is. It's an invitation into that reality so that if that's not where you are, you're missing who God is because this is who he is. So that's in our section here this morning. In fact, I want you to see that. So let's back up a little bit. We're going to pick up a little bit where we were last week so you can feel kind of where we're going. Then we'll read the verses we're going to cover this morning. And I'm hoping in the midst of it, you'll kind of hear over and over the love of God so that you know that's what we're supposed to be taking out of it. Let's just go uh, and begin in verse 8 where we were last week. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's where we've covered so far. We pick it up this morning where we're going to be, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. And we know and, and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So the love of God is being laid out to us in some incredible ways, that God is love. And then he gives us a whole bunch of things that is a bunch of truths and in talking about a bunch of stuff that we've talked about already in 1 John and very quickly pulls it in. As we kind of process this through this morning and try to track what's in the midst of this, I think we'll kind of go at it this way. I want to give you four words. Four words that are taken out of the text that if you can orient yourself around these four words, I feel like you'll understand and longing that God would speak through what he has us this morning. Those four words are seen, perfected, know, and abide. 
So that's what you're going to try to understand this morning. If you can see this, that seen, perfected, know, and abide, if you can follow that, I think you'll see what's being said to us this morning, and in a way, again, where I'm longing that God would help you understand those things which he is speaking to us. Seen is where we begin, and so notice with me what it says in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. Pause there. God is an invisible God. That's his nature. In our world right now, nobody has this place where we see him with our physical eyes. Not yet, that is. Heaven's coming. And if, you read, if you're reading the book of Revelation, you got to read it today. If you're reading with us in our daily Bible reading, a new heaven and a new earth and God dwelling with us, seeing him face to face. That's going to be incredible, but it's not where we yet live. We live in a space right now where nobody has God in their physical eyes. We don't see him that way. In fact, Moses at one point asked for it, asked to see God in his glory. And it tells us in Exodus 33 that the Lord said to Moses, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Bible students, for some, uh, would process this and understand, you know, throughout the Bible, God makes himself known to people, and even they have encounters. Moses is actually one of them. It would say later, when he's talking uh, to, to, to Miriam and Aaron, that God talked to Moses face to face. It's a pretty great description, but don't miss the description. Don't misunderstand it. It wasn't that Moses saw God in his glory, because he couldn't. When God is explaining this to Moses, you can't. Nobody could see me and live. If you were to see God right now in his glory, it would destroy you. It would be like us just transporting you to the surface of the sun. You wouldn't last very long, you know. I mean, it's just, you know, us in our sinful nature exposed to God's glory would absolutely destroy us. We are in this space unable to enter into that. So because of that, God is this God who is glorious, but to us right now, not a God that we can see with our physical eyes. In fact, I like the way Paul would describe it in 1 Timothy. It says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, and sorry, immortal, invisible to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love that. It says, our God is the king. Our God is the king. He is the king eternal, he is immortal, and he is invisible. Yeah. In fact, he would end that in 1 Timothy and says, who alone has immortality dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. So this is helpful for a lot of reasons. One of them, just to make sure that you know that you're not alone. In case you come in here and you're like, I wonder if anybody else has kind of like seen God face to face. I mean, does, does that happen? It's like, no, and you're not the only one. We're here in this place where we by faith embrace Christ, where we, you know, see and, and recognize not what we can see physically, but by faith we gaze at Christ and, and hold that. That is where we are, again, because of God's holiness. And yet that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem is that right now our world is so desperately needing to know that God is real, to know that he's a God who is working. And so here's the point in the text. I mean, here's why we take this huge biblical thought that we have an invisible God. Why do we plant it right here in this section where we're talking about the love of God and specifically challenging us to, to be loving? Well, the reality is simply this, that God is seen. 
I put in quotes seen because it's not physically seen, but he is understood and can be got close to when we love each other with his love. When, when God's people respond and the love of God flows through them, into a world that cannot see who God really is, can't fully apprehend it, it becomes more tangible and real by the love that we have. Again, you just kind of feel that in our text. Just to make sure you see it, go back and look at it. Verse 11, it ended last week. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. And yet the challenge is in this place that we would be that. You know, I think about Jesus who told us that reality of who we are. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said it in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let this wash over you for a moment. In this broken world, if you're a Christian here this morning, you're the light of the world. You're not a light of the world. We're it. We're the only access that people have to hope. We're the only access they have to the God who loves them. We're the only access they have to, to see God and come to an understanding of God. It's why we are still here on planet Earth, so that through you and I, we could shine. And she so says, well, go out and do that. Live your life. Do your good works that when people see it, they would think you're amazing. No, wait, that's not what it said. That's not what it said. That they would see your good works and know that God is amazing. He says, if you could do this well, then people will look at you and go, there is a God. I, I, the way you're living, what's happening in you, helps me to see what I could never see with my own eyes. To, to that which is invisible now is made visible because of you. You're living in such a way that you ha- are, are helping me grasp the reality of God. Jesus says that's what you and I are. We're the light of the world. We do that. And yet one of the key ways we do that is through love. In fact, Jesus was speaking about it. One of the verses we've talked a lot about the last few weeks where he called us to that new commandment that we love one another. And then he said this, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says, here's how the world's gonna know. Here's how the world around you is gonna know that you're a follower of Jesus because of your love. That's what's supposed to define us. That's how they're supposed to know. That's how people can recognize that we're followers of Jesus. That's how it's supposed to happen. It is meant to be not just what we say, but who we are. There's an old poem that's longer than this, but I just, a couple phrases stick out to me that some of you might remember or recognize. It simply says it this way, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Find counsel is confusing, but examples always clear. The best of all preachers are men who live their creeds, for to see good put into action is what everybody needs. Hey, hear me clearly. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm teaching, but I'm not not disowning the the importance of what you and I are doing, but the challenge is that's not where people are going to see it. It's not where the world is going to apprehend our God. It, it, it's in the way that we apply this, that we live this out, that we become the people who are walking in the love of God in such a way that people could see that God is real, in such a way that they could understand that our God is a God of love, and that is meant to happen through us. So we begin with that word seen. 
with an understanding that that's what God is looking for, that the unseen God can be seen through our love. It is right there that he ties into this, the second word that I want you to think through this morning, and that is the word perfected. Notice it is also there in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. If we do this, if we actually love one another, then God's love is perfected. What does perfected mean? Well, the word that's used here doesn't mean, you know, without mistake. Uh, That's how we often hear the word perfect. We have the idea of, you know, a perfect score means you don't get anything wrong. And if that's what's being asked for right now, then all of us would have to go, well, that's not me. (laughs) Like, failed right there. That's not going to be what it is. But wonderfully, that's not what the word is. The word has the idea of thoroughly accomplished or has the idea of complete or reaches its intended goal. To say it's perfected means like this is what it's actually meaning to produce. Not talking about 100% perfection, but seeing where it's going. In fact, I like the way the New Living Translation renders this verse. It says, if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So the invisible God is now seen. His love is expressing that. That we, by, by, by doing this, are, are, are causing and allowing and being a part of this so that God's love now puts that on display. Now, that's a really powerful reality. And once more, it kind of ties into what we just talked about, that the unseen God can now be seen. But there's a little bit more. Because the idea of perfected is more than just stating, again, what we saw in the idea of seen. It's telling us that that's what love is supposed to do. That love, when it accomplishes what it's supposed to do, is meant to flow in us and then through us. Hear it this way. God's love is never meant to just be received. It's never meant to just be a place where it's like, I'm loved, it's me, I'm loved, it's great, God loves me. It's meant to impact us and then flow through us so that we become those who both receive God's love But its love produces something inside of us so that that begins being changes. That's what God's love is supposed to do. That's when it works. When God's love is doing what it's meant to do, it's meant to impact and then flow through us. Now, this is essential. This is essential. This is one of those places that we need to understand how important this is. In fact, I like the way it's worded for us in 1 Corinthians 13, when it begins to just talk about whatever it is we could do with our lives. And it says, you know, at the beginning of it, though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. It says, if it's just beautiful words, if I could sing and, and say everything just right, but if I lacked love, it's just noise. It's just noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and understood all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, then I'm nothing. If it's just understanding, if it's just truth, if it's just understanding great mysteries and understanding who God is, he said, but if I had that and I didn't have love, it's nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Boy, there's a bunch there, but just understand how essential this is. Because sometimes that's not maybe the way we process it. Sometimes we could even sit here this morning and think, so what would it really look like 
to live the Christian life out? Would it be to, you know, have this beautiful voice that declared God? Would it be like having this perfect understanding like I knew all mysteries? Would it be a life of full sacrifice that I'm giving everything away? And Paul tells us, God tells us, if you did all of that and you didn't have love, it's empty. It's empty because that's not the key thing. Those can be a part of it, but only if love's there. The key aspect that really is the thing that was meant to impact our world, to shine in our lives, is the love of God, that we both receive that and then speak that to other people. Ah, This is such an important reality, and I want you just to feel it. There's so many ways to kind of process this through, but since we were talking about Israel earlier and telling you a little bit about the opportunity to go to Israel, I thought I would just give you one of my favorite uh, understandings of this. If you've ever gone with us to Israel, you might understand it, but others might be just can kind of think about it for a moment. So up north uh, is the Sea of Galilee. It is a beautiful location, one of the most beautiful in the world, honestly. It's where Jesus spends much of his ministry uh, around the Sea of Galilee, uh, Capernaum, and all the cities that are there. It's gorgeous. One of the things you want to understand right now about this is this gorgeous place is the Sea of Galilee, a lake really, that is fed by the Jordan River. So the Jordan River is what flows into it. Let me kind of put a map up on the screen. So the Sea of Galilee is up at the top of the screen, Jordan going into this, kind of funneling into this lake that is just a beautiful, beautiful location. But out of the Sea of Galilee, the same Jordan flows. So the Jordan then flows out of the Sea of Galilee. It makes its way all the way down. So again, that's the Sea of Galilee. And then going down, you get the the Dead Sea. So the same Jordan then flows into that, but the Dead Sea is entirely different. The Dead Sea is dead. Uh, It literally is dead. It's 1,300 feet below sea level. It is the lowest place on planet Earth that you can go to. It's Because it has here, the the Jordan River flows into it, but there's no outlet, everything just evaporates. So that the sea now becomes incredibly salty, about a third, 33.7% salty. And, And because of that, nothing lives. Nothing. There's not a fish in the Dead Sea. There's no uh, algae, there's no life, there's nothing there, nothing around it. It is dead. And it's a pretty wild space just to be there. Here's what I want you to think through. What makes the Sea of Galilee different than the Dead Sea? They got the same river flowing into it. One has, you know, is up north and one's down south. What's different? Well, in a very simple way, again, applicationally here this morning, one has an outlet and one doesn't. One receives that Jordan, and then it flows out of them. The other one just receives. It just receives. It just flows in, doesn't go anywhere, and instead of producing more life, it produces death. It's a pretty powerful picture because I want you to understand that's exactly what can happen. That can exactly what happens in some Christian lives as they get to the place where it's just receiving. (laughs) Like, it's just me. Like, it's just God loves me, and I'm about me, and everything's about me. And some people think, well, you know, this could be a great way to live your life. You know, if you just know that God loves you, but if you don't do anything with it, if you're not letting that love flow through you, instead of producing life, it produces death. Jesus would say it this way. He said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Did you see it? says, are you thirsty? Come to me. And then what will happen is that water will flow from you. By, by, by drinking from him, now the living water flows from us. That it's meant to be a place where we're receiving and giving. 
that it's meant to be a place where the love of God flows in and the love of God flows out. And that's what he's speaking about. He's telling us, hey, this is what we need. We need the love of God perfected. We need the love of God doing what the love of God is supposed to do, which is impact you and then flow through you. So that's our first two words. We've seen seen, the unseen God is seen by this because the love of God comes into us. But right here, he makes a, a, a quick detour, a quick pause to make sure that we don't miss anything. And he throws in the word, no. Why don't you notice that they're in our text? Just picking it up in verse 12 for context. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. Okay, by this we know. It's at this moment that He lets us know that we can recognize we're really those who are in Christ, that are abiding in Him, and it draws one of the key understandings that has been a part of our study in 1 John. Now, if you haven't been with us, this might not land as clearly as it has. If you missed some of that, One of the things that is a theme, and John doesn't, you know, he lets it just kind of flow over and over through the letter, that he'll keep saying, here's how we know. Here's how we know that we're in him. Here's how we know we're really Christians. Here's how we can really recognize it, and he gives us a number of ways that can be known. Now, we did a message on this a little while back. If you want, you can go back and get it on YouTube or any other place, and we talked about uh, the assurance of salvation, and we highlighted what we'd already been seeing. About seven times in the book of 1 John, he gives us very specific things. Like, here's one of the ways you can know you're a Christian. Here's one of the ways that helps you understand what a real Christian is and what a real Christian isn't. Now, I don't have time to go back through all of that. So again, if you're interested in that, you can go back and catch that message in YouTube. But I just want to draw your attention to one of them. Number six in the list is he says, you know, one of the things that gives us confidence that we're really a Christian is that by the Spirit of God that's inside of us. In fact, why don't you just notice it back in chapter 3. Just go back a chapter, end of the chapter, last verse. It says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know. Like, here's how we can know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he's given to us. That's the same reality that's being launched out to us in our text here this morning, that one of the things that gives us a confidence of our salvation is the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul would say it in Romans 8, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not His. Uh, That that the Spirit of God being inside of us is not an extra to the Christian life, it's essential. And, And if you're born again, that's what takes place. And there's a dynamic of our life that becomes a connection with Jesus and a connection to the Spirit that is incredibly powerful. Now, That's certainly what's being at least referenced here. Most Bible students and scholars who look at that know that by the way it's saying this in 1 John, that we're highlighting that truth. We're tying back into the, hey, here's how we know we're of Him, and part of it's by the presence of the Spirit. That said, there's another nugget, though, in it that kind of ties it into our section as well, and it's the insertion of a preposition, uh, the preposition of. Why don't you notice it there again in verse 13. By this we know we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's given us of his spirit, not just his spirit, but what his spirit is doing inside of us. Well, what is that? Well, this is where we talked about last week. In fact, we talked about this near the end of our message last week for those who are here. So this is, again, just a quick tie-in. 
We saw there in the book of Galatians that it would say it to us this way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I highlighted for you then, as I do right now, it doesn't say the fruits, plural, of the Spirit are. It's not giving us nine fruits, plural, of the Holy Spirit. It's giving us one. The fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. And the way the Greek language works is when it, when it puts us this way, it lets us know that that's the big deal, and then everything else is like subpoints under it. So you would say, okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love, love that produces joy, love that produces peace, love that produces long-suffering, love that produces kindness, love that produces goodness. You get the deal. So love becomes the big moment thing that's in that. And he says, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit would do in you. Now, John doesn't unpack all of that for us here in 1 John, but that's certainly what he's speaking of, because that's the context, right? The context is we're talking about the love of God, and he's letting us know, hey, one of the things that gives us confidence is not only the presence of the Spirit, but that the Spirit is producing something inside of us, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and if he's there and if we're walking with him, then God's love is being poured out into our hearts. But that's not the only thing. In fact, if it only stopped there, it would be kind of dangerous. If we were saying it right here that the way that you can be confident that you're a Christian is that you're loving, let's just pause and say, here's a problem. Because that's a hard thing to define at times. In fact, if we're all together honest, most people think they're loving. I mean, they do. I just really, you know, there's only a few that would say they're just not and they just like themselves that way. Most people would say, well, I, I try to be nice to people. I try to be a good person. I try to be kind. I, I think I'm loving. And if that's all that the nature of this was, then it would leave a very confused message. And so instead of that, John just goes deep really, really quickly. Yes, it is God's love that's given to us of the Spirit. But on top of that, go back and follow verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. The second thing that gives us assurance that he quickly reminds us of that is this understanding of, of, of God sending his Son, this recognition of both the need and that Jesus is the only one. Now, this in many ways was our entire message last week. This in many ways was what we talked about. So again, John is just launching big thoughts at us. No way for us to unpack all of it, but I just want to remind you of it and even draw you back to see it one more time. Read with me just verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. It says, if you want to see God's love, God's love is clearly, and its, and its fullest representation, and its greatest purpose is seeing that God sent Jesus to die for us. It's John 3.16, which we talked about last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his own, one and only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, you wouldn't perish. So, so here's the deal. If that's what you see, if this understanding, if you're trying to understand, okay, if I, am I a Christian? Well, if God's love is there, and if you have seen and understood, this, you need Jesus. If, if you understand that this is God's love, that there's no way for you to fix yourself, then God sent his son to die on the cross for you, to be our propitiation, to, to pay for it and bring us into favor. If you see that 
And that's really what love is. He says that gives us confidence. But in, again, what John does for us is he doesn't leave us there because even that could be a little bit amorphous. So he says one more thing. Not only do you need to see this, we have seen and testified in verse 14 that the Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Then in verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Yeah, we need to be loving and we need to see Jesus, but you got to be fully in. The idea of confession is a full recognition or to agree fully with, to, to believe it not just by, your, by understanding, but by fully a- appropriating that, by acknowledging that. And that's exactly what the Bible's calling us for. In fact, Jesus said so. When Jesus would speak about it, he says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father in heaven. He says, if you'll be that one who says, yes, I agree. And, and, and you're going to you know, fully dive in. You're going to fully be a part of it. He says, then I'll, I'll confess you before my Father, but you don't do this. If you don't confess me before men, denies me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. So this idea of, of being one who confesses and recognizes who Jesus is becomes absolutely essential. So it's really, really powerful what John just did. And again, it's far deeper than we have time to go into. But there is this sense, he says, okay, we're trying to figure this out. We're trying to, 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 to think through what God is. And if you're tracking with me so far, we see this, this unseen God that we want to make seen. And that happens by God's love. And we need to do that. But before we almost jump to, he just says, but the only way you're going to be able to do that is by having Jesus. By being the one who, by the power of the Spirit, is working that because you've seen Jesus and you've confessed him. Like you're, you're really, really in. One of the things that John is deeply concerned about, which again is a big part of the message of, of the book of 1 John, is two things in this. One, that God's people really could have a confidence, that there really would be an assurance of salvation, and he wants you to have that. But two, to really expose those who are not saved, that you're almost saved, and there's just probably more than we'd like to understand. People who are so close, they come to church, and maybe they, they come and they're like, well, you know, you know, we, we sang, I, I did, I, you know, yeah, you know, we talked about Jesus, but you haven't yet fully made it personal. You haven't confessed Jesus as your Savior. You haven't given your life to him. And so John is like, that's not going to work. Like the only way this works is to really be a part of it. So he gives us three things that just lock that down and says, hey, this has got to be real in your life. So can I just pause and say this? I don't know where this finds you. And before we go past this and talk about the, the, the final word that we want to speak of this morning, I need to say some of you aren't going to be able to journey there with us because you're not here. And, and if you're here this morning and you're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, that you think being in church is enough or being around Christians is enough, but you yourself, you know, you don't have the Spirit of God in you. You, you don't have Jesus, the one who you see as God's expression of hope in your life, and you've not confessed him then you need to. There's no other way for you to be saved. There's no other way for you to get to heaven except through Jesus. And we appeal to you today through this to say you need, desperately need Jesus. And today we long that you'd surrender your life to him. Well, more on that in a moment. But again, if that's you, it's a good day to do that. Let's come back to it and again, kind of think where we are. So four words kind of give us help just navigating this section. The God who can't be seen can be seen through our love. That's its purpose. That's the love of God's purpose, is to work inside of us. The only ones who can do that, though, have this relationship with God, that they know Him, and now it launches into a, a, the reality of the need to abide. 
Abide. Yeah, that's exactly what we need. And just quickly understand this. It is another one of the key themes of 1 John. If you've been with us already in the book of 1 John, you're like, didn't we already talk about this? Have we not already talked about abide? Yeah, uh, several times. In fact, we're going to talk about it again. In fact, for you who journeyed with us through us, it was just back in February, we spent three Sundays working through John chapter 2 from verse 24 down to verse 29, and we talked about what abiding is and how the Spirit helps and how that gives us confidence. We spent three weeks consecutively just saying, abide, 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 abide. Now, if you were here, this is just good because I get to tie back to that and say, don't you remember that that's what we talked about? That's what we talked about, and that's kind of what John does here because, in essence, what he wants to remind us is that's how we do all of this. In our section here this morning, he gives us five or six, depending on which translation you have, because some translations from a different Greek manuscript have one extra time it says it, but either way, in these few verses, he uses the word abide five or six times. I just want you to understand that's big. That certainly must be one of the main things that you're supposed to get out of this text. So let me just put it up on the screen so you can follow and, and see these times where it speaks. The first one was at the beginning in verse 12, where he said, if we love one another, like if we actually do this, and we actually love each other, then, God's, then God abides in us. Then, then who God is, he would be that one that, that is the one who abides in us, that, that we would have this abiding relationship because we're walking in this love. By this, he told us, we know that we abide. Like, how do I actually know that I'm in him? How do I know I'm in that abiding relationship? Well, he says, you, you know that because you have the spirit. You know that, again, because you're focused on Jesus. These things are real, but you know that because you confess him. In fact, he said, whoever confesses Jesus, God abides in him. So that third time, he says, okay, if, you, if you're that one who believes on Jesus, then you have this abiding relationship with God. God is with you, and, and he is abiding. But then he's going to tell us, he who abides in love, abides in God. Like if you'll be in this place of both knowing God's love and expressing that, you are abiding in God. And then some translations add it in verse 16, uh, would say God abides in him. And either way, it's there in the text, whether it's used or not, we just kind of leave that with you enough to say that it, it, there's this incredible reality that he's holding out to us in all of this, this nature of abiding. In fact, let's just read verse 16. It says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Abiding, that's what we need. Jesus said it really well uh, there in, Matthew, in John 15 when he was speaking it. He said, abide in me and I in you. Is the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What incredible words, what needed words. The danger is that for some of you, you know them. I mean, I'm saying it, and even now you're hearing them, and, and yet I wonder if it's going to land the way it's supposed to land. Jesus looks and says, here's what you need to know. You need me. You need to abide in me. He says, I'm the vine, you're a branch, and when the branch is connected to the vine, it can produce life. It's the only way it can produce life. Where you're not abiding in me, Jesus says, you can't do it. It says, if, you know, it, the, the, it says, neither can you unless you abide in me. It goes on in verse 5 and tells us, you know, this, the same reality that we can do nothing without him, that without this abiding relationship that we're meant to be there. And so the Christian life rightly lived is this dependence upon Christ, this need of him. 
I like the, the illustration of the vine and the branch. Again, it's living, it's life, but again, in some senses, uh, maybe disconnected some from the way we live, and, and maybe we could say it differently. I'd like you to imagine it this way. I'd like you to imagine it as a power cord. I don't know what kind of device you want to think about, a, you know, anything from a you know, drill to a vacuum cleaner, I don't care. Just kind of imagine it with me for a moment. I just want you to understand. If you want that to work, it's got to be plugged in. You know, you got to have, it, got to have, to have power. It's the only way it works. The, the second you unplug it is the second it qu- quits working because it's made for that. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. And yet one of the great dangers is for many Christians, it begins to happen that though you might hear this, you do what Paul tells us in the book of Galatians. He says, are you so foolish? You, you began in the spirit and now you're trying to be made complete in the flesh? Did you think that somehow it now depended on you to make this happen? Did you think that somehow you could manufacture the life that God had for you? Did you think that somehow that's what you were supposed to do? And yet many Christians do that, and it doesn't work. And then we're like, well, it doesn't work. You know, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be loving. I'm trying to, I just can't do it. And God's like, I know. I didn't ask you to. I asked you to plug in. I asked you to abide in Christ because if you'll hold on to me, then my love flows into you and it flows out of you. But it's a direct connection. It's a direct dependence that the idea of abiding calls you and I into a place of an actual, real, continual dependence upon Jesus and there is no other way. And it's just a whole bunch of stuff in these few verses. But maybe this is the main one, practically so, to to think it through that what you and I are needing is a place that we would say, okay, God, I want this, and that there's no other way to do this than to have this abiding relationship in Jesus. So think about it this way. So we've covered a bunch of stuff this morning. Again, I want to tell you, we've, we've skated, we've touched, we could go so deep in all these things, but let's just think through what we've seen. We have an unseen God who needs to be seen. We have an unseen God that our, de- our world desperately needs to see, so how are they going to see him? Well, that's the point of the love of God that is meant to flow into us and out of us. That, that it's perfected in us, that it's, its purpose is that people would see who God is. Now, you can't have that if you're not really His. Nobody can be the one who experiences God's love and shows it unless you know Him, unless you know Him and you have a real relationship where the Spirit is in you, where you see Jesus, where you're confessing Him. It's the only way you can do that. Nobody can have this without that. But if you have that, then the great need you have now is to abide in Christ so that that which God is wanting to do to show the world of who he is can now be taking place in your life because you're abiding in him, that this is what he's looking for, that we think about these four things. That's how it's supposed to flow. That's how it's supposed to work. And I'm just wanting to tell you this morning that this is what makes it land. This is what pulls it before you and says, how would you like to do this? Our God is love. Our world needs it. He needs to see you. You can't do it on your own. If you thought you could, if you're trying to live the Christian life out on your own, own strength this morning, no wonder you're making a mess of it. No wonder you can't seem to do it. You were never meant to. You need Jesus. You need Jesus at the beginning and the middle and the end. We need him always. We need this dependent relationship on Christ. So let's end there this morning. You can close your Bibles, your notebooks, and we're going to head to a space where we want to pray. But I'm wondering where it is for you. I'm wondering where you are as you hear all of this. Let's, again, be kind of simple. You might be here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. You might come to church 
You might go through some of the motions, but here's the deal. When he speaks of, do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you seen Jesus? Have you confessed him? You're like, no, not really. You know, I do church and my family brings me whatever. You need Jesus. You, you, the God, God, is, God is the God who loves you, but he so loved you that he sent his son. And, and there's no other way to be saved except through him. And so today, if that's you, then we're inviting you to a believing relationship in Jesus. And so in a moment, we're just going to be telling you, hey, it's a good moment for you to enter into that, to confess Jesus, to ask him to be your savior, to ask him to rescue you. And, and there is no other way. Leaving that with God and you with God, if that's you. Again, I want to speak to Christians. And as clear as I can tell you, I, I just know that some of us need to hear this. Because we're talking about this God who's incredibly loving. That God is love. And, and you can hear it, and yet you, even in your own stuff, you think, well, that's how, how do I get closer to that? Well, you know, there is this place that God's love is perfected. That it's meant to enter into you and then flow through you. And yet the, the real deal is the only way that's going to happen is this abiding relationship with Jesus. Now, maybe you know that. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, well, Jim, I know. <laughs> I don't know how anybody, that's how I do my life. I, 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 I need Jesus in the morning, and I need him in the noon, and I need him in the afternoon. And I'm always saying, like, help Jesus, and I'm depending on him, and you know you need to do it more, but you, you kind of have got, if that's you this morning, well done then this describes you, that God's love is being perfected in you, that's being intended through you. But I know I'm speaking to some Christians that are here, and it's not going so well. That somehow you, you hear God's loving, and in the back of your mind, though you don't want to admit it to anybody else, it's a little bit of a question mark. Does he? I don't know. I guess. I don't really feel it. And, and, and you're thinking, well, what's going, what, what's, why has it gone wrong? What, why am I not doing well? Did you know that, you, that this relationship begins in a relationship with Christ? recognizing him as your savior, but that just begins this dependence. Not only do we need him at the beginning, we need him all the way through. That the Christian life rightly lived is always abiding in Christ. It's always a place of saying, God, I need you every hour. Every hour I need you. Like, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't be this. I can't, I, I mean, you're telling me that this world needs to see you. We're the light of the world? How do I do that? You can only do it in Him. You can only do it by, by abiding in Him. And again, if that's, if that's you this morning, then let it be. But if it's not you, if you find yourself here this morning just kind of like a dead sea, you know, it's, it's all flowing in, but you find yourself feeling, I just feel dead. I feel like, you know, I come to church and I hear the songs and I hear the teaching, but honestly, I feel like I'm drying up. I honestly don't see a lot happening. You know, how do, how do I get out of this? Well, it has to be that God's love flows in you and out of you, but the only way you're going to be able to do that is abiding, is abiding in Christ by being this one that says, God, I need you always. So let's do this. Let's take this quiet moment now. And, and maybe it's surrendering to Jesus, or maybe, again, it's this moment of stepping in and asking it. We just want to give you this moment where quietly you can talk to him, asking him to be that, and we'll come back together in a moment and close in worship. But right now, between you and the Lord, talk to him about whatever that is, whether surrendering or abiding, and may God meet you in a fresh way.
God, we heard it. We read it this morning. That you are love. God, I know that that's true. God, I pray for those this morning that are not yours. And I recognize that you so loved the world that you sent your son to be the savior of the world. There's no other way that anybody can be saved. There's no other way. So Lord, I cry out right now for those who are so close, or maybe they're far, but you would draw them to the need of Jesus to be their Savior. You would draw them to confess personally and reality, asking you, surrendering their life entirely to you, making it real for them. God, rescue these who it's not. Thank you that you're seeking that. Thank you that that's what you're seeking to do. God, I ask your work in them and leave them in your care. And now I want to pray for those who know you. God, we want to be those who are part of your great work. You really are love. And yet our world can't see you. Physically, there's no way for them to recognize you. But you've called us to be the light of the world, to live and to shine our lives down here so that people would see that you're real. And you've made it very, very clear that the essential nature of that is your love. If we could sing or have perfect knowledge or give away great sacrifice and we didn't have love, it's all empty. God, we just need this. And so I'm asking for it, that we would be those who receive and your love flows in us and through us. That Jesus, you said if we'd come to you and drank, living water would flow out of our lives. God, I ask for that. I pray that we would be like the Sea of Galilee, not like the Dead Sea. And yet just coming to it again, I recognize we can't do that on our own. We weren't meant to. We need you. I need you. Lord, thank you for what abiding can be. Where that's happening in people's lives, would you strengthen their hands in abiding in you? But where some of us have unplugged and it's not going so well, help us to recognize what happened. That we're trying to do this in our strength and no wonder we're making a mess of it. Lord, help us to connect back and say, Lord, we can't do this without you. The essence of the life you have for us is an abiding life. Teach us to abide. Help us to be those who abide. We ask for that right now, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.